Welcome to a public lecture podcast from the University of Bath. In this annual British Institute of Medical Engineering lecture, Baroness Masham of Ilton, a member of the House of Lords, will reflect on her work in the House, changing attitudes to disability and the challenges of age and dependency. Uh, first of all, welcome to the 43rd annual lecture of By Me. Thank you so much for coming. It's good to see so many of you. Um, normally, the lecture takes the form of a lecture, uh, usually on, on a subject related to, to engineering, usually for the disabled or, or assisted living at home, something like that. We, we thought we'd take a, a departure from that um, this year, and I think it's quite a, an interesting departure. Because as you see, we're going to have a sort of a sort of little little sort of TV conversation uh, between two people, um, in, in, and the subject is is changing attitudes to disability, and uh, our, our guest is is none other than our than our, than our own president, uh, Lady Massam, um, uh, who I'm going to say a few words about, if I may, uh, at the risk of at the risk of sounding um, too too verbose. Um, Lady Massam has been, a, as everybody knows, a, a, a lifelong, virtually a lifelong supporter of, of um, AIDS for disabled people, uh, having, um, having had in her own youth, relative youth uh, a riding accident which left her with a T5 spinal cord injury um, at the age of no more than 21, which is, you know, it's, it's a remarkable thing to have got to this point in life with such a positive uh, attitude to it, having suffered that at an early stage. Quite early on after her injury, she was really very much concerned with the lack of specialist care uh, um, for uh, people with an initial spinal cord injury and uh, for, for things like rehabilitation. I mean, such a straightforward thing in those days as looking after a pressure sore properly was, was, was fairly novel. Um, she, she must have worked pretty hard from pretty much from 1958 um, right up to 1970 because she was appointed a crossbench life peer uh, and her maiden speech then was, in fact, um, about disability. Um, and that has been clearly what, what, she's, what she's well known for. Um, she became the founder and the president of the Spinal Injuries Association in 1974. Uh, she uh, is vice president of the uh, Association for Riding for the Disabled, Sports for the Disabled, Sports Association for the Disabled, and many others related to disability. But that isn't her, her sole remit, of course. She has, has had a lifelong interest in, in penal reform, uh, drug abuse, and no less than farming. Uh, she's been on the working group, uh, the, the, the Home Office Crime Prevention Working Group for uh, Young People and Alcohol, and uh, she's been on the board of visitors for Weatherby Young Offenders Institution. So her, her, her remit is broad, and in fact, as she arrived this evening, uh, she, she started a conversation with me about, no she talked about the bill, and of course there is no other bill at the moment except for the, the, health, the health bill, the health and social welfare bill, um, uh, and so people are, are involved with, with that. When I first started looking at information about Lady Massam, a name that kept cropping up actually on Google was uh, Abigail Baroness Massam, uh, 1670 to 1734, um, a, f a favourite of Queen Anne's. And I wondered whether, to what extent you'd followed in your, in your, in your predecessor's footsteps. Um, but I think you've heard enough from me. I think I'm going to stop there because it, 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 um, it, it's enough from me. Um, but I have to say that uh, you have you have made a huge difference to people's lives over a very long period. And to quote yourself, when you were surprised on the steps of the De Vere Hotel by Eamon Andrews, um, uh, your, your closing statement, I think, was, you've got to take a positive approach. And I think you've done that on behalf of many, many people 
um, for, your, for, your, for your entire uh, working life. Uh, may I also introduce Dr. Elizabeth White, uh, who is our interviewer. Um, Elizabeth is, is Head of Research and Development at the Royal College, uh, the College of Occupational Therapists and is a member of, of BIMI's Projects Committee and makes a big contribution to BIMI. So with no more from me, I'll, I'll let the interview continue. Well, welcome everyone. It's very nice to see so many of you here this evening to participate with us in our conversation and particularly like to welcome Lady Masham here to uh, University of Bath and it's a great pleasure to um, have you here in your role as president of BIME to uh, deliver uh, the 43rd annual lecture. Now, we all know that the United Kingdom has an ageing population and a rising number of people who are living with long-term conditions. And while, whilst this might suggest a need for greater health and social care services, the reality is that the NHS needs to cut its budget by some £21 billion in the next three years, and this year alone social care budgets have been slashed by £1 billion. We anticipate that more people will have their care delivered in the community and the increasing focus on reablement will facilitate an emphasis on supporting independence. And it's so very timely, therefore, I think, to consider society's changing attitudes to disability, which I think will become more evident in, in uh, our own society and our communities. But the challenges that exist for age and disability, and these topics are what we're going to be discussing this evening. But first, Lady Masham. You've had a long interest in health and disability issues and being a champion for people with disabilities, as we've heard. So can you tell us how your work as a crossbench in the House of Lords and how this enables you to represent the interests of people with disabilities? First of all, I'd like to say thank you very much for inviting me to give this lecture tonight. Uh, I am a great admiration, admirer of what BIME does. Um, one must go on... Um, thinking of new things and making, making facilities better uh, for young people and older people. Um, and as the chairman has said, um, we are an ageing population. Uh, I came into the House of Lords in 1970, and that was just before the Chronically Sick and Disabled Persons uh, Act um, came to the House of Lords. Uh, it came... Um, uh, Alf Morris uh, won um, the ballot in the House of Commons, uh, and it's quite a difficult thing to do. It's just luck when you come number one. And he chose disability, and he brought in um, the uh, Disability Act. Uh, and that was really, apart from um, some financial um, legislation for disabled people, uh, this was the first bit of legislation looking at disability. And um, I was sort of thrown into the deep, e deep end because I made my maiden speech after three weeks of being there. Well, in the House of Lords, um, it's a, it, there's a funny sort of language you have to learn. Uh, and um, <laughs> uh, you have to call um, your, your um, different lords... Uh, your noble lord, uh, if it's a minister, um, the minister, and then you call them by the name. Uh, if they're bishops, they're uh, noble prelates. Uh, and, and you have to learn that, and it's very easy to get it wrong. Um, you aren't allowed to cross the house um, in front of the woolsack, uh, and that's an old tradition. And if you do that, you get shouted at. 
Uh, and, uh, an amazing amount of people do uh, cross in front of it. They get excited when there's a vote and they go across and they get shouted at. Um, uh, you, you then have to learn about um, legislation. Uh, and the bill, a bill, will come into the House. Uh, it can start in the House of Lords. It can start in the House of Commons. Uh, and the procedure um, is slightly different. They have a guillotine in the House of Commons. So sometimes the uh, legislation is not discussed fully. Uh, and that's what's happened with this health bill, but it's not surprising. It's a monster. It's enormous. There are two volumes, and they're about that thick. Uh, but uh, with the chronic sick and disabled persons bill, uh, it, it wasn't so big. Uh, but it was new. Uh, and, and, you know, Parliament had an attitude because it was something different. And they thought, um, they, they did put up quite a lot of opposition. Uh, and RADAR, uh, the, um, the Royal Society of Disability and Rehabilitation, uh, they, they helped with amendments and things. Uh, first of all, you have the, f the first reading, which is formal. Then you have the second reading, and you put your name down in the House of Lords to speak. And then um, you get you get a list and you get put on how you're going to speak. So you're not called. You, you know when you're going to speak. You, it's all on paper. Uh, and um, you, you discuss and you can say anything you want. You can say what isn't in the bill and what should be in the bill. Uh, and uh, then it goes into committee stage and that's when the amendments are put down and the amendments... Um, uh, get supported by, hopefully, round the house. Uh, and with disability, it wasn't a political matter. You know, it, it's across the world. Disability can be anybody at any time. Uh, and um, it was interesting. Then you have the report stage. Uh, and it's slightly different now. Uh, we used to divide on some of the uh, amendments at committee stage. Now it's nearly all at report stage. And third reading is just the sort of tidying up. And then if it starts in the House of Commons, it then gets uh, in the House of Lords, it then goes to the House of Commons and they follow it through uh, and versa versa. Uh, if we make amendments to a bill coming from the House of Commons, then our amendments go back to them and sometimes they chuck it out and then it comes back to the House of Lords and if they feel strongly about it, they'll put the amendments back again and that's called ping-pong. Uh, and it does ping and pong quite often. Uh, and, and in the end, um, hopefully they come to some agreement. Um, but it takes quite a long time. Then there are um, select committees where things get discussed in depth. I have just been, for the last six months, uh, on uh, House of Lords Select Committee on HIV and AIDS. And that was extremely interesting. Uh, HIV is still going up. A lot of people think it's gone away. It hasn't. Uh, 
Uh, we went round, we, we saw some extremely good facilities, and I wanted to tell you about one facility, because I think it has a lot to do uh, with disability. Uh, we went to Brighton, and we um, spent a day there, and we ended up by going to a place called The Beacon. And The Beacon is a halfway house. It is um, a really lovely building. Uh, it's uh, right up on top of uh, the hill, on top of Brighton, a lovely view. It is really homely, it is really good, and they can stay there from hospital before they go home for about two weeks. Uh, it's a halfway house. It gets them, it builds confidence. And I think there ought to be such places for all sorts of disabilities throughout the country. Unfortunately, there aren't, and so many convalescent places have, have closed because of finance. Uh, but people do need to have their confidence built. People who fracture their femur, um, and um, sometimes their houses are difficult, and it's difficult. Um, and when they become permanently disabled, uh, the most difficult time is after they've been in hospital for a period and then they go back out into the community. Uh, that is a difficult time for adjusting. You know, when you're in hospital, you're amongst friends, you're amongst people who want to help you. Uh, when you go out, you're in the big wild world and um, that's where attitudes come in. Uh, and I find um, the attitudes in the House of Lords are very good on the whole. There are quite a lot of disabled people. Um, there are disabled people. Um, uh, uh, a colleague of mine, Rosalie Wilkins, who's a paraplegic. Uh, Jane Campbell, who uh, was born with a disability. Uh, uh, the, the Tanny Gray Thompson, who is a Paralympic and um, very fit. She manages those carpets. She shoots down in her wheelchair. She's very fit. Um, uh, we who are the olding, the older generation, uh, we now have electric wheelchairs because we couldn't manage the carpets. Uh, and you see, when you're getting older, and with the Spinal Injury Association, we are looking uh, at the aging paraplegic because there are a lot of them. Uh, they, were, they used to die quite early, but now with medical <laughs> expertise and uh, uh, excellent physiotherapy and, and occupational therapists, all these people you see, um, they're living longer and they're living full lifespans, and, but they're getting older. So what do you think the public perception is of now of people with disabilities? I think it's interesting. I think uh, sometimes they think that everything's fine and um, uh, there are still a lot of places that aren't suitable. There's my, my big annoyance is my local pharmacy in my village of Massam, um, where there are a lot of disabled people, a lot of elderly people, a lot of people with walking frames, and it has a four-inch step. And it's just, it's just tall enough to stop you going up there. Uh, I mean, if you were tanny, you'd just jump up. But um, <laughs> if you're getting older, you're not tannies. Your, your, your shoulders are going, and it's more difficult to jump up steps, uh, and, and it annoys me intensely because in the dress shops in Ripon, which is just 10 miles down the road, they have ramps, and, and they rush out and say, do you want the ramp? Um, 
but, but that is an attitude. Mm -hmm. um, and they think just because they're small, it's not necessary. But there are lots of visitors who use wheelchairs. Thank you. You did refer just now to your uh, friend, and we had a conversation earlier about uh, a lady you know who um, is a, herself a carer of an elderly husband um, living in very unsuitable housing and had a fall and fractured her femur. And uh, I think the challenges of ageing and dependency are going to give us more examples of people who are living in unsuitable housing and where cuts to social care are going to really impact on their ability to manage independently at home. Now, so now uh, she, she um, had a blackout and had a fall in her bathroom. Uh, quite a common occurrence, uh, falls in, in, in the home, fractured her femur and went into York Hospital. Uh, where she said it was like a factory. Uh, and then she got transferred near her home to a GP hospital, uh, which, was, uh, which she liked better. Um, but she kept on, and this was the worry. I went to see her just b before she went home, and she was still having some blackouts. And that is a worry, uh, because she could fall again. What about the impact, do you think, on her and others like her of managing at home if there are cuts to social care and uh, problems in finding carers for people at home and lack of suitable housing for people with disabilities so that they can remain independent without a care? There's a huge need for um, help coming into the home, um, especially for older people. Uh, there, there is um, um, help, some voluntary help, Members of the Red Cross used to um, go into people's homes and help, and, and um, there's a lack. A, lo a lot of people aren't quite as, they haven't got the time. Um, they're not quite as committed in a way um, sometimes. I mean, we still have the Red Cross, but it's not as localised as it used to be. Uh, it's much, I was president of North Yorkshire Red Cross, and, and um, now it's, it's run from Leeds. It's a long way off from the local people and um, there aren't so many people doing the sort of day-to-day -day going in and Meals on Wheels. Some of you may have seen the, the bikers on the television running the campaign for the Meals on Wheels and, and uh, up in Yorkshire and there is a need for Wheels on Meals, Wheels on Meals. Meal on Wheels. On <laughs> So what do you think needs to be done? How can we as a society change an approach so that people get better care, whether it's on a voluntary basis or through statutory services or uh, people, as you say, meals on wheels or other means so that people like Biddy and her husband and the many, many thousands of others like them uh, can live fulfilling and well lives? Well, there's a thing called telecare, telehealth and telecare, uh, which could be useful in those circumstances. Um, but I do think it's important that, I mean, I've suggested to Biddy that she has something that she can press if she has a fall. Uh, because her husband, you know, he's in the 90s and he's a bit hard of hearing. Uh, and, and that worries me. And her son is deaf. So in families, very often, uh, there's more than one disability. Uh, the deaf son has been helping with them, but he works in London. He's had to go back to London. Uh, so there is need. I mean, the big society is what our prime minister tells us. Um, but is it working? I mean, I, I, I'm not sure. 
<laughs> Perhaps that's a challenge for everybody here today, is it, to uh, think about what they're doing to help their neighbours and providing care and support for other people at home if uh, part of the responsibility rests with all of us in our community to uh, can contribute. I think the cuts are quite um, uh, worrying. Um, they're cutting just a little example. Um, uh, there's a... In North Allerton, which is a, a small town, um, uh, it's, it's quite a bit smaller than Bath, um, there's an organisation uh, called Chopsticks, which is for people with learning difficulty, disabilities. Uh, and they do chopsticks for elderly people, and they do their gardens, and they have help, and they've just lost their grant from the local authority. And they are really struggling. Now, whether, whether some of the firms could support that sort of thing, um, but it needs organisation. So do you think we need a, a societal change in attitude towards disability, that people are more willing to see what their neighbour or their friend or their um, relative needs doing and be more willing to help people, or is it a responsibility of a statutory service? I think it's a combination. I think we have to work together. Um, I think there is a big worry with so much being put on to the community and local authorities um, don't seem to have too much money mm. uh, and that is a worry. Um, the taxi card, uh, which is for disabled people in Westminster, um, is being cut now and, and, and that got people out of their homes. Um, uh, those on very low income are the only ones that are going to have it. Mm. Well, that's a real cut, isn't it, in the quality yeah. of people's lives yes. and indeed their health and well-being. And, and being able to get out and um, go to the theatres occasionally, that sort of thing, go to the dentist. Um, it's a big concern. It is, mm. yes. Um, because everybody craves independence as long as they can have it. And is a crucial part of health and well-being indeed. Absolutely. I know for one of your other areas you've uh, long been a champion is in uh, wheelchair services and recently you've done a lot of work to promote um, adequate pressure relief for people who need such services. Um, but these, <laughs> like other equipment services, can often be difficult to access and uh, I wonder what your thoughts are on whether quicker or indeed better provision could lead to improved health and well-being and uh, perhaps create some savings for society. I had an unfortunate accident last year. I was in Spain and we were going down a hill and uh, the casters of my wheelchair got stuck in a drain. They have these wide drains for water when they have a lot of water and I went out and I broke, I fractured both legs in two places and I'd had fractures before. So it really was quite complicated because I had new fractures on top of old fractures. Um, and I landed up in a Spanish clinic and um, uh, they, they did have an awful lot of doctors uh, uh, because if one doctor didn't know what to do, they just brought another one in. Um, and, and they seem to have more doctors in Spain than we do in Britain. Um, but, but I was there for a, about a week uh, and um, I was on extremely strong antibiotics uh, because my legs, not only were they fractured, but they were also very badly bruised. And then I flew back in a 
German um, air ambulance, and I can fully recommend it. If ever you have accidents, um, try and get a German one, because they were so efficient, they were so good. And um, it was a tiny little aeroplane. Uh, there were two of us, uh, apart from uh, a doctor, a nurse, uh, and a captain. Uh, a female woman, a woman who had tripped in her bathroom on some water and in her hotel, and she'd fractured her spine. She, she wasn't paralyzed, but she was in a lot of pain. And she, she went to Oldham, and I went to Stoke Mandeville. And I was at Stoke Mandeville for two weeks. And um, I tell you that one of my big um, interests now is safety. Uh, safety in hospitals. Uh, because I was there for two weeks, and during that time, I, I had two lots of medication uh, put on my locker, which were for other patients. And uh, one of them was actually, um, uh, I said, what is this tablet? And um, the nurse who put it there said, she, oh, I'm not sure. I'll go and get the packet. So she went to the packet. She went and got the packet. And um, I was even more sure it wasn't for me. And, um, uh, oh, she said, it's all because of Ramadan. And she'd been fasting. I, and anyway, um, I, I told one of the senior nurses, and, the, and um, they then, um, <laughs> the system then worked, because I said, it is important that this doesn't happen for other patients. A lot of uh, tetraplegics there, people who wouldn't have noticed. Um, and, and that can be dangerous. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and safety in hospitals is really very important, uh, but things can go wrong. Uh, anyway... Uh, they weren't sure what to do, so they transferred me to Oxford, where they put fixators on it, external fixators, and um, on both my legs. And the surgeon, they were, the staff were excellent there, couldn't have been better. The food was terrible. Um, hospital food just should be better. Uh, but um, uh, the surgeon said, now you can't go home until you have a wheelchair with... Uh, elevating legs, uh, because he didn't want my legs to swell. Uh, so, um, excellent occupational therapist who rang up our wheelchair service up in Ripon. Oh, she said, we can't do anything until we've assessed her, and that'll be a waiting list of 17 weeks. <laughs> I was going. I was going out the minute I had the wheelchair. Um, I mean, what about blocking hospital beds? I, you know, absolutely ridiculous. I, the cost of that is astronomical, isn't it? To keep somebody in, oh, in a hospital bed for seventeen weeks oh, waiting for a wheelchair. I, I had to ring round and I found a firm and I bought a wheelchair. But you see, some people couldn't do that. Mm. I now have a wheelchair that I can lend people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but you know the system. Is, is very slow. Uh, it's very slow. It's very difficult for children uh, uh, because they grow and they need wheelchairs. They, they have to change. Uh, you, need, you, need a, you need a quick service, a quick, efficient service. And quick, efficient things are really better in the, in the long run. They save money in the long run. So what needs to be done about that? Is that just a money issue? I mean, obviously, people like yourselves had a very complex... Um, condition that needed to have very particular um, 
not an off-the-shelf approach, I would suggest. But there plainly is an issue going on for many people who are waiting a long time for equipment, whether it's wheelchairs or other pieces of independent living equipment that would not only improve their quality of life but create savings elsewhere in the system. And going a bit further down the road is housing because a lot of people have totally, if they have serious injuries uh, and they have to use wheelchairs, uh, they, so many of the houses are completely unsuitable. Now, at Oswestry, they have a spinal unit there, <clears throat> and they have um, some halfway houses called trans houses. And um, I think that is a realistic thing. Uh, when they've got through their acute care, they can then have a halfway house situation. But there aren't all that many places that have those facilities. And is this an issue for legislation, so for perhaps new housing when it's built takes some consideration for people who might have mobility difficulties or need wheelchair use? Um. There is a certain amount of legislation, um, but then there's a lack of housing. And, and housing, um, people stay in the houses, so there aren't enough ground floor houses with suitable wide doors and facilities. I was extremely fortunate because my husband and I were um, gi given, given a, a house for our wedding present and we built it and we designed it. Um, and my husband became extremely uh, disabled. He was a big, strong man, but he had a stroke. He had diabetes. He had um, Parkinson's in the end and he had cancer. He had a, a lower bowel tumour. And, um, and our house was just so important. Uh, because I had to have two carers for him, I, and, and the system, and he lived for um, over 10 years, uh, getting worse all the time. Uh, so suitable housing can keep people in the community. Mm. So reflecting a little bit on perhaps where we are now and what needs to be done, what are the priorities for action, do you think? What needs to be done now to promote social inclusion for people with disabilities? I think one has to... Uh, keep campaigning. Uh, one has to educate. There's a lot of new MPs. One has to educate them. We tell our members to contact our MPs. Uh, we have um, different disability groups in Parliament and um, we do our educating um, and it's getting them interested and we find that if members who are disabled, and there are lots and lots of dis different disabilities, if they write, if there's going to be a meeting, um, and they write to their MP and said, would you come? They do generally mm. come, but they have to have that personal contact. Um, but then it goes down to the level of local authorities and local, um, local people, local councillors. It's educating them, uh, because so much gets done at local level. And perhaps empowering service users also to have a voice for themselves because you've been a very good example of how speaking out can make a difference. I think the groups uh, do, and I think that is something that's got better. I, I mean, there, there are some disabled people who are, you know, very strong on their disabled rights. Indeed, so. You know, and they are. Um, I, but Rosalie, who we both know, Rosalie Wilkins in the House of Lords, uh, she's an expert on housing mm -hmm. and she will promote better housing. I mean, we all support that. Um, Absolutely. And I think it's a real benefit for everybody with disabilities that 
people in influential positions are prepared to um, stand up for the rights of all make a difference? I think that the occupational therapists too who are employed by local authorities, I think they can do a lot too. If they have to speak out though, um, you know, if they... If can they I quote you as a soundbite? <laughs> <laughs> And the occupational therapist and the physiotherapist, because they do come into people's homes. Mm. Um, but the occupational therapists are the ones who are very important. You're right. Very important. Well, <laughs> I'll take that one back. Now, a little earlier on, you did refer to telecare as perhaps one of those great areas that might uh, hold some future benefit for people as technology moves on and we think about how we can harness it to benefit people uh, rather better and... Um, obviously, that's an area that Vime is particularly interested in. So I did have a question for you about your perception of how Vime's work contributes benefit to people with disabilities, which I'm sure everyone from Vime here will be very interested to hear in because you might have some ideas for um, future projects, perhaps. Well, I think that getting universities involved in disability is a hugely important thing. Uh, and and um, different things, you know, d different things... Uh, develop. Uh, we live in a changing, developing, technological um, time. Uh, yet, there are still problems of getting things. Um, and what worries me about the cuts is, uh, and especially in the health service, £20 billion to be found. Uh, when there are more elderly people, there are more people becoming disabled. Mm -hmm. So there are more needs. And how how that is going to ha happen. Um, one needs people with very clever brains to work it out. Uh, and the computer world. Um, then there are the helper dogs. Now, they are wonderful, the helper dogs. Um, I'm a great admiration of animals, and, and I've seen the helper dogs uh, working. And they do amazing things. They turn on televisions, they answer, they bring the telephone, they stuff they washing machines, they do all sorts of things. Man's best friend, obviously. Well, here we've got two ends, haven't we, where perhaps people with disabilities have an advantage over those of us who don't need to rely on dogs or indeed don't need to rely so much on technology. And I wonder whether those are areas for the future that can be explored in terms of changing people's attitudes towards disability. I certainly know occupational therapists who use um, hearing dogs very effectively and actually working with a service user population um, helps people understand that a disability doesn't need to be a barrier in terms of leading a perfectly normal and fulfilling life. And perhaps telecare will prove similarly that there are many disabled people who are becoming very reliant on telecare and it enables them to do some amazing things. Perhaps that people who are able-bodied don't even think about. So uh, maybe to have some champions in telecare from amongst our disabled population might uh, assist also in changing people's attitudes to disability and the things that you can achieve. I think, I think it could well be. There is one worrying thing that does worry me, and I think that this has got worse, and that is the violence towards some disabled people. I mean, if one remembers the Pilkingtons, that mother and daughter, mm. I mean, who were so desperate. Uh, and that really um, is to do with education, education of the police, so that they understand disability. Um, I, I have a, a niece 
uh, who was living in London. She's actually, <laughs> she's married now and, and uh, living in Wiltshire. But, but she is an epileptic. And she had um, an epileptic fit in London. And um, sh she was out and um, somebody picked her bag up and took it to the police. And when she came to, there she was with no bag. She thought somebody had stolen it. Um, but but um, I, I do think that um, bullying and things to disabled people, that's horrible. Um, so you may have some ideas about that. Um, well, I'm certainly going to mention there yeah. have been some high-profile cases recently that we've seen of people with disabilities being abused by members of public and transport providers when out and about. And we know that the Department for Transport does promote very socially inclusive transport, but evidently there are some quite negative attitudes out there of other staff and passengers which impact on progress. So what do you think we can do about such intolerance towards other people who are just using transport the same as everybody else? I think it's trying to get the message over uh, that disability might, might, might attack them. Uh, and then what would they think about it? Mm. You know, I think people need to understand. So is that something that government can address or does that need a societal response? I think it's a, a mix, a, a, a response for everybody to try to do it. Um, there are only certain things that government can do. Um, I, I, I bring these things up whenever I can. Um, we were, I think everybody who watched the Panorama programme about um, that home near Bristol uh, were absolutely shocked. Mm. Uh, and and um, certainly um, I'm one of the people who were trying to get um, care assistance registered. They're not registered. People don't realise that. I asked my dentist the other day about it and he, he was surprised. He thought they were registered. All, all the dental staff are registered. Um, the thing is that you can sack a nurse for dangerous procedures, for cruelty, for um, giving insulin to somebody uh, when they shouldn't have it, uh, and they can then get a job as a care assistant. Uh, and there's no, and that's quite dangerous. So uh, great, greater regulation would be a safeguard for service users and members of the public. I think that would help. Mm -hmm. It would help. It wouldn't stop it, but it could help. Uh, but the attitudes of the public towards that sort of thing also can help. Um, there ought to be much more transparency with um, care homes. Mm -hmm. People ought to be able to go and visit and befriend and help and, and go in. Um, if they become closed shops, I think that's quite dangerous. Yes, that has been a high-profile case. and I But there are others. There are other cases. It wasn't the only one. I think our discussion's been very interesting here because we've talked a lot about changes, some things that are definitely on the horizon that will be impacting very much on people with disabilities as we all have concerns about cuts to health and social care but increased demands at the other end. There is one thing that, uh, that you know, with winter coming on... Uh, our members of our Spinal Injury Association uh, feel the cold very badly. Uh, uh, they do not get an allowance 
uh, that elderly people get. Well, being disabled and being elderly, I can tell you that being disabled is far more um, difficult as far as cold is concerned mm. uh, than being elderly. So, so they should all have it. So is that another campaign? Oh, well, our Spinal Injury Association has campaigned. Um, you know, but it, it's an ongoing thing, and with mm. the cuts, it might, <laughs> might be even more difficult. But, but they've been campaigning for it because uh, heating is a big problem. So we've seen changes to disability and people's attitudes really across the board, and I think all equally that responsibility for progressing this agenda lies with all of us. Some of it lies with government, some of it lies with those of us who are healthcare providers, some of it lies with perhaps disabled people themselves, and perhaps a majority of responsibility lies with members of the public themselves to recognise disability as something that can happen to anybody and that everybody wants to lead a fulfilling life and be enabled to do so. There are some things. I, cruise ships have got much better. Um, uh, a friend of mine has just been on a cruise and they went to all sorts of interesting places like St. Petersburg and, and various places in Europe. And uh, um, they said, oh, there were lots of people in wheelchairs on that ship. So that was good. You know, I mean, Excellent. there are some things that are getting better. Good. Well, perhaps there ought to be more examples of that. We see all the <laughs> headline stories of bad news, but perhaps we don't see enough headline stories of mm. good news because that perhaps would influence people equally. Um, I just want to just uh, maybe just go back a little bit to the uh, earlier part of the discussion around the, 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 uh, the need, the real need to look after each other more. And, and we do recognise, although we're developing technology to help people live independently, we do recognise that the social aspect is really important. So I hope you've had a, a look or will have a look at the InTouch video system, which is a, a way of helping people to stay in touch and, and keep in touch. So we're not just thinking about the technology, but we are thinking about people at the end of it in, within BIME. So just to close, um, I really, it's been a fascinating discussion. Um, that We're all very reassured that, that you're in the House and you're going to give the, this bill a, a really hard time as it, the next week as it comes through. Um, and you have a really deep understanding. Uh, I know you've got a really packed schedule. Uh, you're going to you've got a Spinal Injuries Association meeting t tomorrow, I think, haven't you? So I really appreciate you taking time out to come over to Bath. And um, uh, we'll be thinking of you next week. I'd also like to thank Elizabeth White for, for coming and facilitating the discussion. Again, we appreciate you, you coming over. Um, I'd like to thank the University of Bath for, for hosting the, the event. Uh, we do appreciate their support. And uh, Gail Gillespie, who hopefully will come in in a moment, um, for uh, supporting the event. Gail, you've got the flowers that we have for our guest speakers. Um, so thank you for coming, for being a great audience, for participating. Um, um, I hope you've enjoyed the evening. Um, the, uh, the, the lecture will be podcast, so if there are bits that you'd like to recommend to friends, then do have a look on the university website and you'll be able to, to pick that up. Um, for those of you who have to go off now, thank you for coming. and We look forward to seeing you again next year. Do keep an eye on the Buy Me website. We're doing new things all the time, so just keep an eye on that. And for those of you who have tickets for the buffet, um, we look forward to some further discussions. Do spend some time talking to each other and chatting to the Buy Me team. So thank you very much.